I will now arise, says the Lord. What does it mean when God stands up? Welcome to The Good Word. I'm Jody Washburn, host and study guide author for this 13-week series on the book of Psalms. Joining me in conversation are Tiago Aheis and Matilda Fry, both professors in the School of Theology. What does it mean when we say God stands up? Well, I would expect God takes action. Mm. This is now. This is now not not that like. Where are you, God? And 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 I cannot see and hear anything and awake um, with that language as if God would would sleep. Right? Um, there is that that um, idea of God is like hidden and away. Um, but in this case here, God is standing up and action happens. And that can be frightening, and that can be devastating. Um, in the in the psalmist's uh, positive aspect, it is God stands up for the 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 psalmist, uh, but it can then be an action that goes against the enemy and an action of destruction, an action where um, there is killing and there is war and there is, you know, terrible things happening. Mm-hmm. So much to be said here about theology of God's standing. But Matilda's right. I mean, there's always that anticipation of God is about to do something um, as he stands. Um, but I just came out of Santa Fe preaching on the book of Acts for the last year and a half. And um, I remember Stephen um, being stoned for embodying, right, for those who remember the story of Acts. Um, Stephen is this deacon who's serving at the tables and announcing the good word, the good news of what Jesus has done. Um, He embodies what Jesus was, you know, putting forward with his life, the kingdom, the sensibilities of what that means. And and he is um, brought into judgment and then eventually stoned. And in the moment of being stoned, the text simply says, Luke adds there that he looked to the heavens and Jesus was standing at the Mm. right hand of God. When I was going through this text, it was hard for me because... Matilda's right. I mean, if God stands, if that means there's something is going to happen, but he dies. Nothing happens. So it makes me wonder always, you know, what does that standing represent? That maybe, yes, God is able to do something now to maybe spare Stevens of the world or us, but that standing also maybe has a, a added assurance that his action might not come through now, but there will be a resolution to this, that he is not unaware of what is happening and there will be, and I love the word, resolution to these things. So, yes, action. When will it happen? I don't know. But God is not unaware. I like that because I, I immediately picture arising, right? If God arises, it means responsiveness, which, as Matilda says, you know, comes at a cost, sometimes of even violence to mm-hmm. those who are, you know, vanquished um, and is perceived as deliverance. From those who are being oppressed, being um, saved by this standing up, um, but to add that piece about time, because I think so often the what we feel is if the responsiveness is not what we expect when crying out for God to stand up, then we go immediately to to feeling or interpreting our experience as well. God has turned His face. God is forgotten. God is not paying attention. But as you were speaking, Tiago, I got the picture of. God with a sense of attentiveness, like yeah. that picture of God, you know, the vision of God standing while life is ending. Mm-hmm. 
that there is an attentiveness there, regardless of how it plays out in that immediate circumstance. In the story itself, yeah. And I mean, maybe here is a moment where we can sort of share with the listeners of how much grief we go through, I think, in our religious life. I've seen it as a pastor. I've seen it in myself. Um, where we expect God to do or to stand in moments or to, to do something, and, and, and then where our faith is shaken when he doesn't. And we'll talk about faith more throughout the, the series here of, of the lesson book, but, I mean, there's a, a very basic element of faith, which is trust yeah. that God will do what he promised to do. And so much grief happens in our Christian or religious journey where we expect God to do things that he never promised to do. And coming to terms with that has been a great transition in my life as well, and I've seen it in the life of, lives of others too. That what are you expecting from God? I mean, did he ever promise to do ever what you're expecting God to do? So I think that sort of unveils a lot of these anxieties and expectations we have of God when the many things that we want him to do, he never promised to do. So just something I wanted us to think about as we move forward to about faith and trust and these silences and God standing or sitting and how that plays out into our our day-to-day life. Yeah, and trust we so often mix it up with with uh, belief, with other words that have quite narrow connotations in English. But I like to think of that invitation to trust in terms of a groundedness, like a sense that the relationship continues, even if it doesn't play out at all like we expect. And that's uncomfortable. But there is healing in naming that, naming the gap between what we envisioned as the unfolding of the relationship and then what actually happens. But at the same time, and I feel like this is part of what the Psalms teach us or create a a container for, to know that the relationship is there. It doesn't look like what we hoped, maybe. Many parts of our journey don't look like what we hoped or envisioned. And yet the relationship is there. Um, we see that, you know, in the in the direct addresses to God, but we also see it in other aspects of these poems and prayers. One of the one of the images, or I should say, one of the psalms that is filled with incredibly vivid imagery, is Psalm 18, and this is perhaps most famous for you know the the metaphor God is a rock, and we can go on and on and talk about you know metaphor and how do we use metaphor in our in our language human language. Um, But this psalm includes a lot of imagery, some of which is kind of connected to what we talked about earlier, right? Because this lesson is built on this phrase from Psalm 12, I will arise, right? God's responsiveness is described in terms of standing up in response to a a human predicament, okay? And earlier in the quarter, we talked about God hearing and delivering. And this psalm has those same themes. So verse 6, my cry reached his ears. So that anthropomorphic language for God. It also draws on a whole lot of other imagery from everyday human life to wrestle with what it actually looks like or feels like when God intervenes on behalf of his people. And I wonder if there is any particular image from this psalm. It's a long poem filled with vivid imagery, but if there's any particular image in this psalm that captures your attention, right? Like, what does it look like when God intervenes? Um, one, of the, one of the ones that stands out to me is the imagery of a broad path. Um, there's so many times that in moments of crisis and deep grief, it's easy to see uh, a very narrow view and well, a sense of agency and like self-determination or self-efficacy is so important to human 
resilience, it's easy to feel like there aren't any options, like I don't actually have any agency. And this this picture of God setting me on a path, right, broadening the path beneath me is the word wording used in the NIV. To me, that is an image of of healing, right? My situation might not change, but suddenly there's a little bit more options of where to put my feet down as I as I move forward. But I wonder if there's any image imagery from Psalm 18 that stands out to you. Um, you know, I I remembered uh, a passage in Daniel chapter eight, and I know this is not. We like to to go to Daniel eight specifically for that prophecy piece of the of the evenings and mornings mornings, but the there is an imagery right after that expression of the two thousand three hundred uh, in verse. 15, Daniel, after he has seen the vision of those animals who are like fighting against each other, the ram and the goat and so on, uh, there is, he sees one who looked like a man, says my Bible, but in the Hebrew, this is a, a strong man, a warrior man. And this one is standing. Hmm. And when Daniel sees him standing, he falls down and he is like deeply like oh, struck and and falls into a, a deep sleep. But then you read on and the one who is standing, the warrior man who is standing, reaches down, bows down and raises him up. So taking this this vision Back to Psalm 18, what you see here is the rising God who comes like a mighty warrior and everything is to his disposal, right? The, 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 the heavens and uh, the na- every, all kind of types of nature. And then you read in verse, um, verse 9, he bowed the heavens and came down. Mm. So God, the mighty warrior, comes down mm-hmm. to those who experience the deepest grief and pain and hopelessness mm-hmm. and rises, ra- uh, what? Ra- yeah, stands raises, up, rises up. Yes, yes. So there is this ambiguity that we understand God as this powerful being mm-hmm. who is like always fully in power. And yet, in a psalm like that, in the middle of the of the rising, this warrior bows down mm-hmm. and comes down to the one who needs the help and needs to be raised up. I love that. That is what I like in the psalms. I mean, it's a radical listening to you, Matilda, example or reminder of how how we can depend on God to do His part. Um, and I think that's why the image of the rock is there. And it's curious because last night I had finished sort of the notes for our study today. And and after I was done sitting down, a friend of mine sent an article out of the blue. said, hey, you should read this. I think you'll like it. It's an article by Richard Beck. And I just wanted, want you to see this. Um, I quote, who are we as human beings? We are creatures, which means we are by nature ontologically unstable. In biblical language, we are dust. We are like the grass that quickly springs up and then withers under the sun. We cannot hold ourselves in being. And this instability creates psychological instability. 
Um, simple introspection reveals this, that felt sense that we are at root a bundle of neurotic symptoms and insecurities. The ego isn't a steady beacon or a firm foundation. And the point to note here is that affirmation, as vital as it may be, doesn't address this instability. You can affirm me, but I'm still a mess. I can affirm myself, but I'm still a mess. And the worship song in the sermon can tell me that God loves me, but I'm still a mess. In short, while affirmation is important, our critical situation as creatures is that of dependency, our need for support, solidity, and grounding. So when you, it just made me think of that article yesterday, of our need, yes, for we all need to be affirmed, but that dependency, that rock, the warrior who comes down, is a beautiful reminder of what God does. Thank you, Matilda and Tiago both. And thanks also to Ben Busby and Rick Basket, our program engineers, and to you for tuning in. For The Good Word, I'm Jody Washburn. You've been listening to Good Word, a production of the School of Theology at Walla Walla University and KGTS-FM. To order a copy of today's broadcast, you can call 509-527-2194. Thanks for listening, and we'll be here next week at this time with Good Word.